distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the National Library of Australia. My name is Nicola Mackay-Sim and I am currently acting in the role of Senior Curator of the Pictures and Manuscripts branch. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land. I thank their elders, past and present, for caring for this land we are now privileged to call home. Tonight I'm delighted that so, of you, so many of you have joined us this evening to hear um, about Judy Horacek's latest publication called Random Life. The Pictures and Manuscripts branch work, had, uh, work hard sorry, to preserve and share the national collection, including the Judy Horacek collection of cartoons. In 2005, the Pictures Collection acquired 80 of Judy's cartoons created between 1996 and 2006. That group, though, represents just a small part of our Horacek Collection, which, of course, includes her printed books, copies of publications, in which her work has appeared, her personal papers and original artworks. Particularly treasured are uh, the hand-coloured illustrations for her first children's book, Where is the Green Sheep, published in 2004. That book, created with Mem Fox, has become a childhood classic and one I'm sure parents and grandparents in the room have read many, many times. I certainly have. Where is the Green Sheep has won or been shortlisted for several book awards and in 2005 took out the prize for the Children's Book Council of Australia Book of the Year Early Childhood. Since then, Judy has added writing as well as illustrating to her list of achievements, namely, two uh, namely her publications the, the Story of Growl, Yellow is My Favourite Colour, and These Are My Hands, These Are My Feet, which is proudly published by NLA Publishing. But cartooning remains at the heart of her creative career. Her new publication, Random Life, is Judy's ninth cartoon collection and it is full of the things that we've known and loved about her work. Joining Judy this evening is Alex Sloan, who you will all know from her uh, years as presenter on 666 ABC Canberra. Sadly, she retired at the end of last year. <laughs> <laughs> Though happily, her service to radio and charity work was recognised in March this year when she was named 2017 Canberra Citizen of the Year. She is, of course, a much-loved friend of the National Library. Please join me in welcoming Judy Horacek and Alex Sloan. Thanks so much in Canberra. You're doing me proud, coming out on a Thursday night for... Judy Horacek, who of course has been described as a treasure, then it was upgraded to absolute treasure, and then total and absolute treasure, and this by Dame Quentin Bryce. And I was wondering if it could be topped, the total and absolute treasure, but I think the dear, late, great John Clark did it in the forward to, to the book. So he did a forward, and um, Quentin Bryce did a, what's it called, a tagline? A lovey. <laughs> so they're both national treasures and I'm the absolute, total and absolute treasure. I don't know if it needs to be upgraded, does it? I mean, what's well, better than total? Can I just read a little bit from, because I thought John, beautiful John, beautiful John, um, in the forward he says, and he likens Australian cartoonists to Australian birds and he says they beautifully adapt to their habitat, some with powerful beaks and sharp talons, others are elegant but shy, some squawk, some whistle, some cry... And he continues, in this unique island landscape, Judy Horacek is a honey eater, agile, industrious, and singing her position as she darts from plant to plant. It's just so beautiful. Do you... <laughs> Were you happy? He's obviously with... watched me at work. <laughs> Were you happy with that description of the honey eater? Well, I would have been happier if he hadn't died. Yeah. I mean... Um, yeah, no, it's a very lovely forward and, the, and I think that the analogy that he uses that Australian cartoonists are like birds when he says, you know, coming from somewhere else, this is what you notice, the sort of the bright plumage and all the different ways. I think it's a very apt thing because we are quite different, most of us, you know, not with many similarities and with a very different approach. You know, I don't have talons, I don't tear things apart, but I do chatter a lot, I suppose. You do wallop us around the ear. He is occasionally, though, don't you? 
not not good people. <laughs> Only people who in deserve a, it in the best possible ways. I mean, that's what I was thinking, because you're a mixture of delight and silliness and zebras and elephants in the room, and then you will seriously wallop us around the ear on things like the environment, um, losing our humanity through the treatment of other people. Um, yeah, well, that's my job. That's. <laughs> You know, that's why, why I got into cartooning. It was to have my say about the world and things that I felt were wrong with it. And, you know, I don't know that I've changed the world that much, but, you know, it is... It's a fantastic privilege, I feel, that to be able to draw a picture and to put in there what you think and to sort of summarise things. And So, um, Con of the Australian... of the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre retweeted one yesterday. said, Judy's really not got it going easy on Peter Dutton, is she? <laughs> <laughs> you could tell it like it is. Uh, so you're free from the ABC now. You just have to quote, <laughs> quote them now. You know. um, Judy, I was going to... Um, this is your counting your the books that Nikki just talked about. So this, I've got... This is Random Life. This is the new one. These are my previous seven books plus eight. So this is my ninth book. Isn't it 17 all up? Plus the picture books are 17, yeah. Yeah. And you are not only Judy Horacek total and an absolute treasure, but you are Judy Horacek publisher now. You've self-published these. Yeah, so I self-published this one because I've been DIY most of my career. I was kind of sorting out things myself. I thought, well, why not try it? So I did, and it was a blessing and a curse, as these <laughs> things often are. Um, but it was nice... Um, one great thing was having, you know, this sort of control, but then, of course, you have to do everything yourself and, and there's no one, you know... I had to do something so that Judy could do something, so that Judy could do something, so Judy could do something, otherwise Judy was going to be really behind in what <laughs> Judy had to do. So it was like... Oh. So the, will the next one be horror-check publications or...? It might be. It could well be. Yeah. You know, I did quite... It is quite... I um, did a crowdfunding campaign through Possible, which is... Um, crowdfunding for those of you who... Hand, hands up if you supported it. Aww. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's where you put a project up and you say, please, you know, I've always wanted to publish a cartoon book. Can you give me some money? And if you give me money, I'll send you a cartoon book when it's published. And, um, and there were other rewards as well. So through that, I raised the funds for the printing, which was great. Mm -hmm. So um, And that meant I had the freedom to then make it um, another 32 pages and write then another 32 pages. And at the end, I... Um, it's going, oh, I don't know which ones to leave out. Oh, just make it another 32 pages, which is, shows I'm not a very good publisher because publishers do not just keep adding, you know, a whole... <laughs> the, that's the... You know, you have to do 32 pages because that's how the maths works out, so you don't but have to... But that's the whole point pages. was freedom, wasn't it? It's artistic yeah, freedom. Yeah, so that's why I want a nice... It's a nice little fat book, it's, isn't it? It's a lovely fat book. So it's over 230 cartoons in the end, <laughs> so I started off thinking I was going to do 182 pages and then I just went... Just speaking of Quentin... Tell us about... Do you want to see a picture of Quentin? We do. Oh, can I just quickly show some cartoons from the book because then I won't yep. have to... So this um. is the passive-aggressive elephant in the room. <laughs> Zebra window brides. <laughs> vertical Venetian in Holland. <laughs> 21st century superheroes. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound while texting. When I become the richest of the rich, I will happily give to the poorest of the poor, as long as they are having a go, of course, in which case they won't need my money. Win-win, obviously. <laughs> I mean, this is the, you know, the neoliberal whole thing that poor people are only poor because they... It's a strong theme in this book. Yeah. yeah. Well, it shits me. It really, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, you know, go to a private school and have lots of money and have your parents have lots of money. And that's fine. You know, that's great for you. Mm. But think that somebody who has, you know, been brought up in this impoverished thing and got not very much education and had to leave school, et cetera, et cetera, or had nowhere to do their homework or was cold or winter or something, to think that, well, they're not, you know, mm. they're not running the world just because they weren't trying. That's... Well, we all know that. That's why market. you're here. You wouldn't yeah. be here if you didn't think that. <laughs> You'll get to ask questions. In case of refugee crisis, yeah, please beautiful. break grass. Compassion. Peter Dutton has that on his wall. Yeah, he does. <laughs> He's got it tattooed on his chest. Oh. Surely she wasn't the only one who could hear it. Eat me. Eat me. We've all been there. <laughs> Where's who 
there and go, will anyone notice I've had five slices? Will they? No, surely they won't. <laughs> Tattoos aren't just for Christmas, you know. <laughs> it's that damn, damn male privilege thing. No rooster ever has to justify why he crosses the road. <laughs> Beware of the bath. <laughs> Myrmonauts. So I was doing a whole series of hybrids. <laughs> I said, this is me at the launch of Random Life in Melbourne. And I, um, because she's got a yellow dress on the cover, I thought I'd wear a raincoat because I don't have a yellow dress because I look crap in yellow. But that leads me to someone who looks fantastic yes. in yellow. <laughs> Brenton Brothers. Yeah. And the reason that I asked her to call me a treasure on my book was because after she signed Julia Gillard in as the first, Australia, as first female Prime Minister and she was the first female Governor-General, she was wearing a yellow suit. So I sent her a copy of Yellow is My um, Colour Star. It's been republished. That's its new name. And she wrote me a note um, that said, or a card, beautifully beautiful writing, fills up the space, you know, didn't run out of space and have to go around the corner or go PTO or anything, finished with this cue... Um, and she said, you are a treasure. The book is a treasure, and so are you. So I contacted her and asked via a circuitous route of my publicist and some, her publicist and someone else and someone else to ask um, if, she would, if she would be prepared to say it on the cover of the book. And, she, and so one day I got a phone call, an unknown number on my phone, but there was an actual number, a Brisbane number. I thought, you know, where do you go? Oh, do I answer it or is it just going to be one of those scam things that I'm going to have to say, no, I don't need insurance or something. Anyway, I picked up the phone and said, hello, Judy, it's Quentin here. <laughs> and that was... Um, so she said, of course, that she would love to say that I was a treasure and that was when she put it up to absolute treasure. And this is at Riverbend Books in Brisbane, which is her local bookshop. So I did an event, a random life event there and um, they asked her to introduce me. But she came and she introduced me and I thought she'd whiz off in a com car afterwards, but she stayed for the whole thing, asking questions. And, she'd love it. Um, and this is not the yellow suit she wore to sign in Julia Gillard. That one she donated to the National Museum, um, but this is a new one she bought because, well, you have to have a yellow suit, don't you, in her position. <laughs> Who has a yellow suit, really, except Quentin? Because <laughs> so well, I'm... Fair, and that's why I've always yeah. thought that I look terrible in yellow, but she's fair and she looks... Yeah, no, she can do it. There's I thought if only I had, you know, olive skin or... There's a great photo um, at that at the time of the yellow suit and the Julia Gillard um, at the airport, and I think it was the Queen arriving, and you had Quentin, Julia Gillard, Katie Gallagher... Katie Gallagher, yeah. ...and the um, defence official was also female. It was a fantastic photo. I just thought, there you go. <laughs> And they all got on safely, off safely. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's obviously a, a huge thrill um, to have all those associations and that kind of backing, Judy, that kind of fandom. Yeah, and it was, it was a great thrill that she did that and it was a great thrill that John agreed to write the, yeah. to write the forward. Um, everyone talks about, you know, what a lovely, polite and charming man he is, but, you know, I think that it was a bit rude of him to die before the book came mm. out, that sort of... But, um, it was very... I, I knew him a little bit, so enough to ask him and then be too scared to actually ask him again. Because I said, would you, write, would you write something for my book? And he said, I'll think about it when I get back from holidays, which is not saying... It sort of looks like it's saying yes, but he might have just meant, I'll think about whether I'll do it or not when I come back from holidays. So I, of course, put it off for ages to actually email him and say, well, what do you think? But anyway, when he well, I was writing it, we had a lot of conversations about you know, humour and comedy mm. and satire and trying to use the, making people laugh to sort of make political points and points about the, the thing in the world. And I was looking forward to lots and lots more conversations. But um, he, you know, book's called Random Life. He just proved how random mm. life is. And it was actually the lunic comment that rings in my ears about him after his death and he went, he went down a track and never came back. He never came back, yeah, you yeah. funny Kiwi bloke. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. So we think of John and I think of all those missed conversations because he would have talked to you for hours. You yeah, so it was never... It, um, after he died, it became clear that he had very few conversations that were less than an hour. <laughs> but, um, you know, and he would ring up and would... Um, it would say unknown number because he didn't know how to put his number in the phone or something. But um, 
and I'd say, and Francesca would go, oh, I think that's John. Francesca's my partner. And she said, oh, well, I'll see you in an hour or so. And I'd go <laughs> off into another room and we'd have a chat about just all kinds of stuff. Just favourite When the documentary is after his death, the favourite line from someone who was working in the early days with him, and they said, yeah, and we used to swim, and then that would take a couple of hours because John would talk to the pool attendant for an hour. <laughs> and I thought, that's just exactly who he was, you know. Um, moving on from... I just want to show you yellow. Yeah. So this is yellow is my colour star. And that's the American version. Looks like an animation, doesn't it? Beautiful. Um, so yellow is my favourite colour. I like red too, also blue. Green is great and pink is fun, but yellow is my number one. To orange I say hip hip, to purple I say hooray. But yellow is the colour that brings sunshine to my day. And why I'm showing you this, of all the colours that I see, yellow is the one for me. Which colour is the queen for you? Yellow, orange, red or blue, purple, green or maybe pink. Um, uh. These pictures from there have just been installed in the um, paediatrics ward at Canberra Hospital. So um, you can just see the yeah, diver. That's beautiful. They're not, they're not, it's very hard to photograph a, a hospital, but that's the diver there. So I worked with, um, with the hospital, obviously, but with Fiona Edge, the designer, who's, who's a friend of mine. She also designed Random Life. So she worked very hard just working out because it's quite amazing. It's amazingly different to be putting pictures on the wall that have come from a, mm. a book, and there were lots of considerations that you don't want people to... Well, you know, there's traffic and movement and stuff, so um, I just thought I'd show you those. So there's the, the main figure, and I just dumped the Canberra Hospital using a number of artists just to try and make themselves less hospitally. Which and, is were you, and were you really happy to be asked to be one of those artists? Yeah, was it was great. So yeah. they're picking people who had a connection with Canberra. I don't live in Canberra anymore, but I was here for Canberra's 13 <laughs> years, and so I still feel like I have a very strong connection with Canberra. Um, and so I'm now at the hospital, which hopefully no one ever has to go to the paediatric ward, but if you do, well, there's some things waiting. And this was the first thing I did with them. So this is the um, doors to the neonatal ICU, and that's got the green sheep well, various sheep from there. So, um, translucent, so people don't smash into each other as they're coming in and out of the door. Uh, but we... Um, it almost makes you want to go there, but we hope, as you say, don't have the yeah, reasons to... Yeah, hope nobody to. has to go there, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll let you, you do some stuff. No! <laughs> <laughs> Alex is going, now I know why I've never talked to her for longer than 10 minutes. She just takes over. Oh, I love Judy. We've known each other a long time now and it's always delightful. But we have never spoken for 10 minutes before, for longer than 10 minutes. It's always been That's always because you're whisked away because, you know, people want to see you. No, it's because you're on the radio and your producer's going, get her out of here. <laughs> <laughs> We've got more guests. She once saved my daughter who was little um, after she'd squished her fingers at Helen Maxwell Gallery. Um, so you've always had a... You know, Judy Horacek brings up warmth for so many reasons and saviour now. But Judy, you made a reference before about why you started cartooning, but you actually, you were a poet and a writer of short stories, weren't you? Tell, tell us, just take us on, I'm sure you've talked about it many times. But. Um, well, I've always, so from when I was very small, I drew pictures, but I also wrote and wrote poems and stories and things. I was that kind of child uh, and always wanted to be, some kind of artist or poet or writer. So I kept that going. I went to university and did fine art and English literature, which is what you do if you want to be an artist and a writer and you're not quite able to do it. And then you're completely paralysed because you've studied the work of the greats, you know, for years and years and think, well, how can I possibly um, do it? But, um, but I'm really glad I went to university because for me, cartooning is more about ideas than... Because I did have a big fight with my parents at the end of Form 4, which is now called Year 10, 10 um, but where I wanted to go off to art school like Cathy Wilson and, you know, have a groovy time. And they said, no, you have to stay at school at least till you've got... At least till you've done Year 12. Um, in which case, then I, then I realised I'd have to do a folio to get to art school. So it was easier just to go to do arts because I didn't have to do anything extra apart from filling a form... Um, so, but I kept, you know, I was always drawing and writing and I was involved in a, a poetry group um, that met at the North Melbourne Library and one, one of the women drew little pictures when she was in her sentences and so the person running it said, why don't we all try and do a cartoon? And that was the 
I went home and um, did a cartoon the day before the next meeting, like not not in advance, so that, that pattern stayed. But um, it was just amazing. I just went, oh, I want to be a cartoonist. You know, this is So really it was kind of love at first draw, was it? Or? It was just... Yeah, it was just this light bulb moment, and I'd always read cartoons and loved them, but I, but I suppose I'd thought, oh, well, I'll draw a cartoon, and I'd sat down and went, man, nothing. And, you know, this, this sort of having to do one meant that I just thought more about it, and, you know, and I know that now. You don't just sit down at a desk and then do something. You've got to do a lot of boring stuff before that, thinking about it. Well, in fact, there's a fantastic cartoon about the blank page in here, isn't there, or the blank... The blank sheet. There's one of your. I'm sure. Don't look at me like that. You know, like you've gone mad. Um, it was. It's a terrific. So many cartoons, and I can't even remember them. But we'll get to that one. I'll find it in a minute. But, but no, there's lots of blank pages in my work. Like I'm. Oh, I'm often talking about the blank page because it's you know it's scary. And one of the things I do mm. when I have to come up with an idea is I use paper that's, that's got stuff on the other side so that I'm not wasting paper because, you know, if I get a pristine piece of paper, then I say, well, I really can't put my stuff on it. So what is your process? Because David Pope, for instance, he does his all on an iPad these days. But what's your process? Is it... So tidy, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Lovely, um, David. <laughs> so my process is I try and clear a little bit of space on my desk, which is kind of piled up like this, um, and if I'm trying to have an idea, I just will sit there and try and have an idea and I write notes. So I'm not, I don't draw little drawings. They're mostly notes in words. And it's particularly if I want to do a cartoon about a certain topic, then I'll um, often try and find something to read because if I'm reading something, even if it's got information that I already know, there's something about that information sort of passing across my brain that means another part of my brain can be working on how to tweak it or twist it or add it to something else. Uh, so often I set a timer of that for an hour and in that hour I'm not allowed to keep getting distracted. I'm not, you know, I turn my phone on to flight mode. I'm not allowed to make a list of things I have to do. I just have to think of things that seem creative. Um, Can you show us a cartoon that, and tell us about the thought patterns? Just well, I don't know if I can. Oh. Um, oh, this is... No, not to go back. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, this is a... I had an exhibition at Beaver last year, Beaver Galleries in Deakin, and I'm having one next May. So this is, uh, this is about this big, and this is a bit different for me. It was just doing watercolours just for the, the sake of it. Um, and that's another one from there. They're stunning. They're just beautiful. Um, so this one's called The Failed Mermaid. <laughs> take the girl out of the cartoon <laughs> and then this um the cover of the of random life's obviously a similar sort of thing so um then with all the words and g-jaws on there so um maybe i'll go the other way and find a cartoon no they're too far away that's okay it was just one of so those. this is my website to remind you to just to remind me to tell you that I have a website just to do a little bit of PR. It's a really good website, actually. So I've been oh, thank dipping, you. Dipping thank notes. you. And I have a monthly newsletter that some of you, I'm sure, are signed up to, but um, I put in all the information about stuff in the shop and talks I'm giving in, exhibitions, etc. So the thought process of this one. Can one million emails be wrong? Maybe I really do need penile enhancement. <laughs> so, perfect one. <laughs> Um, I get, because I get a lot of spam and that's because I've not, you know, I don't work for an institution that controls that for me. So my ISP, you know, controls it, but then they start busting through. And I suppose because I was, sometimes, you know, you get emails and, or like the bank ones, you know, you're always getting ones from different banks and you go, oh, well, that's spam, that's spam, that's spam. And then the day I first got one from a bank I actually banked with, I went, oh, no, maybe it's not. Maybe I should read it. Maybe, I, and I, even though I knew it was spam, and it was exactly the same as all the other ones. I went on that. So, and again, it's then when you suddenly get one that goes, you know, do you need to lose weight? And you know, what can you see me? That, <laughs> that thing. So I guess that that just the constant Viagra and etc. Um, I was just trying to find a way because it is it is a contemporary thing that you know most of us are familiar with all this spam. So, um, and I guess I was just bringing our, you know, a general sense of insecurity to it as well. So that was what I was thinking. So what ha you have a debt because you've been published, what, weekly in The Age since for the past seven years, is it? Or? Yeah. Yeah. So 
what hap is does the deadline eat at you or how does it um no it doesn't eat at me it it sort of depends so i did one um i get a deadline tomorrow morning which i won't meet because i'm here so i um <laughs> had to do it last night and i've got an ideas book so that when I, when I write my hour thing and I write down all these little notes and then I cull from that and write down things that will hope, you know, at the best days I get a cartoon idea and then I draw up that cartoon straight away. But other days I go, oh, there could be a cartoon there, the wording's not quite right or there's something not quite there. So I have um, these, um, oh, an ideas book. And last night, so yesterday I had all these things to do before I came away here and so... But I knew that if I started doing my cartoon, it would take me the entire day. So I was just doing all these other things. And then at about half past, like, half past five, I went, well, I've got to do a cartoon now because I want to go home and have some dinner at some point. And so I just flipped through and I just went, yeah, that one's great. So it's a cartoon of a horse on a desert island and it's called Robinson Horse Home. <laughs> and it was just... <laughs> there'd been and other days, well, like the one that I did before that. So I'm twice a week in the age now. The one I did before that was just one... Um, about asylum seeking, and um, which is a Dutton-esque character saying, you know, it's a cruel, terrible world and people do anything to escape and find a safer life for their families. Um, and, um, yes, it's definitely a cruel world and that's why we send them back because we're just doing our bit to help. And that's been in my book for a while, but suddenly the other day I just thought, yeah, this is the time. This is just, you know... We thought everything is happening on Nauru and everything's happening mm -hmm. with those babies and the children and everything. I just thought, well, this is that. So, you know, that comes into it as well, what's going on at the time. In, in the introduction, actually, to the book, you say that a lot of people um, think of cartoons, oh, you're having fabulous time when the politicians are particularly dreadful, that this is a glorious time for cartoonists. You argue against that, don't you? Yeah, well, I think the psychopath cartoonists think that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that... Um, well, there's a few things, and one is that one thing that cartoonists do is we exaggerate. So if you've got people that you can't exaggerate, like if people are being cruel beyond belief or, you know, Trump, like how do you exaggerate Trump? I'd hate to be an American satirist because you'd say something and the next day he'd adopt it as policy. You'd feel so responsible. Um, and it was the Simpsons who invented Trump as, as president where they were thinking, well, who would be the most bizarre president we could possibly have? And they, you know had about 10 years ago an episode where he was president. Um, but I think that, I mean, for me and the type of cartoons I do and the type of cartoons David Pope does as well, we're sort of trying to envisage a better world. And um, so having people who are doing these bizarre things, well, I don't think they're bizarre things without consequences. Mm. And, um, and I don't know how you do a cartoon about Malcolm Turnbull because that man must be so complicated. But to... You know, we know that he believes in same-sex marriage. We know that he believes that climate change is real. We know that he believes in all of these things. And yet he's standing up there saying, oh, you know, we've got to have the coal, the coal stations for another five years and, you know, the postal survey, etc. And Which was what my cartoon probably would have been tomorrow for Monday had I not had to do it yesterday. The High Court decision. So it's about yeah. a horse now. Yes. <laughs> which, which is the beauty of you, isn't it? That... You can give us a good wallop around the ears and then you can... You, do, you love the silly. You love silliness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Robert Desai said to me recently, at the, he was at the Bendigo Writers Festival when I was there as well, and he said, you really are a very silly woman, aren't you? <laughs> you don't look silly, but you're very, very silly. And for Robert to say that would be the ultimate com compliment, really. Well, I took it as that because what could I do, really? But, <laughs> but, but you, you think... That kind of, because, you know, it's, you sprinkle magic. It's just beautiful, you know. Uh, I really, this book, I, I, I sent Judy an email, so I'm going to buy lots and lots of copies for Christmas because it kind of sums up where we are at the moment. It's just that sort of perfect. And there is the bit of happiness in there as well and fortunate and... Yeah, and we place. are fortunate. I mean, I've yeah. had a very fortunate life for all that, you know, mm. for all that... There are no female cartoonists properly employed in Australia, apart from Kathy Wilcox. And, you know, for all you know, all mm. of those things. Um, and I do get to be silly, and I do have a, a lot of freedom in what I do. Uh, but there's a the balance. I mean, it's also I'm particularly silly now because a lot of my work. When I first started, a lot of my work was for community groups and um, and 
political organisations and things. So it was all very serious stuff. Like I did so many cartoons about violence against women, which, you know, obviously it's a hilarious topic, so you don't have to work very hard. But, um, whereas now I'm in the age and I'm in a spot, it's down in the back of the paper, it's not an editorial cartoon, so it doesn't have to comment on the news of the day, so I can comment on Well, I take the opportunity to comment on it, and nobody's told me not to, so I keep doing it. But, you know, I'm down next to the quiz and under the weather. And <laughs> so I sort of have this freedom, and I feel like part of it, that is a spot that's meant to be entertaining. So, you know, I get to just be ridiculous. Have you ever had a knockback from... Has an editor said no... I don't want no, that. No, well, the paper's so bad now, you don't have an editor anymore. You just have somebody who, who says, you know, great, but you've sent it in CMYK and it needs to be RGB. That's about as editorial as they get now. Um, I've been, in my career, I've been, when I worked for the Australian magazine, which I did for a while, um, and they did actually say one of them went too far. And they said it wasn't very, they said it wasn't about the politics, it was that it wasn't a very good cartoon. And I fulminated, of course, because I was being censored and, you know, we cartoonists get very pompous when we think we're being censored. But in fact, they were right. It wasn't, it was a very didactic, beating around the head cartoon. And I prefer not to do those ones, well, except maybe sometimes about Peter Dutton, but, <laughs> you know, they're not going to convince people. Like, you want to do a cartoon that's actually, is going to convince at least it can help convince people who are unsure about an issue um, rather than just one that's, you know, screaming through a megaphone at people, you know. Do you think cartoons can change people's minds? Yeah, I think they can. I think... Um, I don't know, because, you know, I haven't got any data. I've sort of got anecdotes. Go for it. But people are only going to tell me what they... I do know one time I gave a talk um, and it was to a very conservative audience of women and I put up cartoons about, um, well, my cartoons, so things like the rooster crossing the road and, and the animal impersonations one that some of you were familiar with where a man is saying, looking down at this woman with a microphone saying, if you could try to sound less like a woman, and she said, what, you want me to do animal impersonations? <laughs> and Which is a cartoon that... Um, you know, a lot of women are familiar with because we're told to try and sound less like women and, you know, and the alternative to that is, you know, I was just trying to take the mickey out of that. But I've seen women sort of look at each other and, like, realise the person next to them's laughing and, as well and think, oh, well, it's not just me. That's what happened to this audience, that, that sort of... Um, that there's a, a thing that's happening to a number of people. I don't... Yeah, I don't know. Because Has your mind ever been changed by a cartoon? Ooh. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I don't think it has. You maybe sent down a thought trajectory that you hadn't been, I'm sure. That's what they're so brilliant at, aren't they? Oh, it's just... just pulled the rug out from under my entire life. <laughs> Let's have more if cartoons. my mind has never been changed by a cartoon, and I read a lot of cartoons, how can I expect other people's minds? I mean, certainly I've had, um, I've got information through mm. cartoons, and that's sort of some people, the, the way people can encapsulate a political situation that can give you an angle on it that you didn't have before. Mm. Um, I thought that David Pope, with after the Charlie Hebdo, with yeah. who drew first, that was, because there was such a big debate, wasn't there? I mean, no one agreed with people going in and murdering, whatever. But there was a big debate, you know, about you know, had it been inflammatory, the kind of stuff that they'd done. And I just thought, oh, I wonder if he has changed some minds with with that question, with that cartoon. If he had done, yeah. It. I don't know. It's the Charlie Hebdo thing's very complicated, along with the Bill Leake mm. thing. You know, a lot of the yeah. people who were just sweet Charlie were Bill Leake must be sacked. And they were the doing really similar argument, cartoons. Yeah. It's a different kind mm. of cartooning. Than, it's not a cartooning that I like particularly, that kind of we are really deliberately going to try and annoy people. Mm. Um, but it's a, a long tradition in cartooning and, you know, it's, it's one that's adopted by a lot of people. So it's not my personal taste, I suppose, is, mm. is what I'm going to say. But it gets... You know, I don't think anybody should be murdered at their place of work or anywhere. You know, obviously that is a complete, a complete crime. But it's... To me, what I take from that is just the internet and how crazy it goes in deciding who's in the black hat and who's in the white hat, and it will never, ever change. So that the whole 
social media thing, it's so black and white now. And once they've decided someone's bad, it doesn't matter what they do. So Bill Leake did a lot of cartoons that I thought were awful. But every so often he'd do a fantastic one in the middle of that. But people would still, they wouldn't go, oh, Bill Leake's done one I agree with. They just, you know, interpret it as going, oh, look what the asshole's done now. And um, We're all in our echo chambers. Yeah, echo chamber, exactly. Mm. And so it's sort of... And I'm not so much, because I sort of, I don't know, fly under the radar a bit, which is... How have you done that? How have you managed to do oh, that? I'm old, I think. Is that what you <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think... I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't do things that are deliberately provocative. No. I don't have a huge high profile in the newspaper. Um, I don't think Kathy Wilcox gets all that much hate mail. Um, you know, I get trolled a little bit, but not massively. And I do... And, and I just ignore it as well because that's... Yeah. Like, and, and that's not to say that I think that that's the only way to do it. Like, I think people who do fight back and call out, and, you know, the Clementine Ford way of doing it, it's going, look at these vile things that people believe they are entitled to say to another person. Um, you know, I think that's, that's an important strategy as well. It's just not mine because I'm a wimp. <laughs> <laughs> Will you have a look at some more cartoons? Had my parents regressed or had I? <laughs> Mum, Dad. <laughs> I, I really that. like some of these ones. It makes no sense whatsoever, but it's all these sort of self-referential kind of... My parents don't look like that, by the way. <laughs> the glass ceiling. Don't just stand there. Polish it or something. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> Every journey begins with a single step. Are you sure? I thought it was a double espresso. <laughs> you, you, you take the mickey out of the coffee obsession. I do take the mickey yeah. out of the coffee thing. I, mean, I think that I'm really savage about the coffee thing because I, don't, I don't, drink, don't drink coffee myself and I'm from Melbourne and it's just, it's gone a little bit insane there, honestly, where people go, oh my God, I can't do anything without coffee. And you go, well, you've got a physiological addiction, you know, you could get over that. No, no, I'm so superior a person because I can't do anything about, without coffee. So I do these cartoons to take the mickey and they stick them on the fancy, cap you know, the espresso <laughs> machines in the fancy cafes. So they're proud. <laughs> oh. oh, I must have put that in twice. Oh. The damn elephant in the room is tricky enough without it deciding to hog the remote as well. Do you know, the first time I heard the phrase, the elephant in the room, I'd never heard it before. You know, and it suddenly appeared, hasn't it, like over the last couple of years. And because when I was young, elephants were small. Like, you know, they'd be in the fridge. Do you remember that? How do you know there's been an elephant in your fridge? Footprints no. in the butter. Oh. Do you remember that? I said, yeah, I do. Yeah. So you get this sense that they're this subtle thing, whereas now they're this, you know, this big giant thing in the room. But the first time I heard it, Mem Fox said it. And she was talking about having a conversation with a publisher about a manuscript and it was the elephant in the room. And we were just talking at cross-purposes for quite some time because I thought the manuscript was about an elephant in the room. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's not an unlikely scenario, really. That's <laughs> fantastic. The future in black and white. Coal and a bleached coral reef. See, that's walloping us around the ears. That's a terrific cartoon. It's just wonderful. Kaz Cook tweeted that she liked that. Very excited. You named <laughs> That's beautiful. Fellow human being, epitome of all, all yeah, evil. Yeah, I thought that was terrific. Too. My space in the age is only about that big, so I have to... I, I get very inventive with how to make it seem bigger, so dividing it in half is one thing I can do. And sometimes I can divide it into four. Terrifying and dangerous Australian things. Spiders, snakes, shark, indefinite detention. What do you want? Equal rights. Ladies, remember what we practised. <laughs> Equal rights, please, sir. <laughs> Coach said I was playing like a girl. Awesome. <laughs> this is um, on the wall at um, the MCG, the Museum of Australian Sport, or the Australian Sports Museum in Melbourne, and it's two metres high or three Isn't metres high. Great? It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. So it's, it's really good. And a friend of mine's niece went and stood in front of that little girl. So she had her feet on the ground, which is probably about there. So she was the same height as there. And so it looked like the bubble was coming out of her head and um, the girls were talking to her. Very clever. 
I had no idea I was dry clean only. <laughs> so that's pink. Selena <laughs> says it's pink. That's the zebra thing. Tell us about the zebra thing. I mean, the elephants, the zebras, the chickens. You well, know. They're just, elephants and zebras are just funny, aren't they? <laughs> like, um, you know, there is a zebra thing, isn't there? So there is a zebra thing. I like zebras, and I guess so. In the book, there's also a joke about the zebra who's changed his stripes to um, brown and gold, and the other zebras are saying, "But we've always, always voted for Collingwood." <laughs> Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, one of the things that I'll, when I'm sitting down with my timer going, I'll go, oh, might be time to do another cartoon about a zebra now, you know, that, um, or is there anything left in the elephant in the room thing? <laughs> Little Bo Peep gets older. Now, what was it I was looking for again? <laughs> it's getting too close to the bone, that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Much as I hate cliches, I have to say I think that's the wrong tree you're barking at. <laughs> so I think I'm always just looking at phrases and things people say and things people have always yeah, said or things yeah. they're just suddenly saying and just trying to, I don't know, find something in there. It's, just, it's desperation, really, and deadlines. That's where I get my ideas. Jane resolves to spend less time on Twitter but more time tweeting. <laughs> And that's beautiful. the last one. That's beautiful. Um, and I think we're probably about to open it up to questions if you'd like to talk to the wonderful Judy. Um, I don't, where, I, we have microphones. We have microphones. Just before we do the Mondays is hilarious too, your obsession with Mondays. Because my day in the age was Monday. It's still <laughs> Monday. I'm Monday and Wednesday now. But... Um, <laughs> And Monday's funny as well. Right? It is funny. We all just hate it so much. And I'm, I'm freelance. I usually work on the weekends as well. And I still hate Mondays. So. <laughs> uh, there's so many. I do. This is a wonderful book. Now, please, uh, um, ask Judy some questions on this. Oh, right up the back. Look at that. Where's like making the people with the mics run? Yeah, he's fit. He's fit. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Totally, totally wonderful. On the way here there was a demonstration on Commonwealth Bridge and it was equal pay and equal rights. And as you know, it's an Australia-wide strike for childcare workers who say that they're not being respected and they're not getting a good wage. What would you have devised as a oh. cartoon for their strike? Because it's a very significant strike, in my opinion. <laughs> what would I... I'm a bit deaf from a plane. Oh, cold. so... There was an equal pay, equal rights for childcare workers. So yeah. it was a kind of demonstration about that. And, a, you know, it's an ongoing, you know, childcare workers can't even get home loans. They're so badly paid. You know, the way we pay both aged care and, and childcare workers is just disgraceful. It's absolutely, I'm, I'm with you on this. And I think our lovely questioner was saying, you know, what would you do with that in your ideas, Judy? Just come up with an instant cartoon for us. <laughs> yeah, no, I would sit there, I suppose, and I would play around with just some ideas and um, I would bring in the huge rates of CEO pay, I'm sure, and to create some kind of contrast with that or, or something. I mean, it's, um, it's awful. It's terrible. And, and, um, and our most precious people in our lives, they're both our little ones and then our older, you know, people, and then we pay them, people who look after them, nothing. It's just terrible. Yeah, and it's been that way for a long time. I know. And, you know, it's, it's because... Appalling. It's yes. because one of the reasons is because it's always been seen as women's work and, you know, that would yep. say our teachers, you know. They, um, so my hope with the automation, because all the blue-collar jobs are now, is that those jobs will come across to the so-called pink-collar jobs and then they'll all come up. That's my hope. That my, sounds good. My theory. Fail um, <laughs> <laughs> hope. I'm still um, cross that George Calambaris is... Um, workers who've been underpaid that much money. Now they have to wait, it said in the paper today, they have to wait over a year. It's going, he could just hand them a little bit of his money and they'd all be fine. Mm. I'm with you. <laughs> um, at the front here, and keep pulling your hands up. And um... Um, This one's for Judy and Alex. Yep. What do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> I've got there, I'm Canberra's happiest retiree. <laughs> You're a citizen of the year or something, aren't you? Oh, yes, which is lovely. Um, I don't know. 
And I do, I do wonder that because at the moment I'm, because I'm doing the children's books and I'm doing exhibitions and I've just started making little ceramics and things. Oh, yeah, it's really fun. It's not because it's not a blank piece of paper. You've got a lump of clay and you just push it until it becomes something. Um, and so I'm just trying to work out, you know, when I grow up and, and I have more time to work in the garden or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. But you must be grateful that, you know, a creative life and working with ideas, it, you must be grateful about that every day. Oh, yeah. No, it, mm -hmm. is, it is amazing. It is. It's... Um, it's just, I've sort of carved out something aside from, I mean, I'm in the age now, two days a week, but it's a small sort of thing. So it's aside from the actual profession of, of cartoons, like, you know, like David Pope in the Canberra Times and, um, and other editorial cartoons and stuff. So they're people who have jobs and superannuation and holiday pay, etc. And I've sort of done the cartoons that I believe in and, and I've put them onto merchandise because just to get them published sometimes, put them on greeting cards and things. And um, so there's a been a little entrepreneurial which is why you know how and the book sort of fits into that so I don't I would hate to just be in my room being creative and drawing all the time I don't think that would suit me although you know sometimes I think it sounds incredibly attractive mm. I just know that I'd go no I want to go and learn how to make a book or you know learn ring up people and get quotes for something or um <laughs> but just so it's a probably progression of all that all those processes I probably just want to do what I do now, but better. How's that? <laughs> um, more questions? Right in the middle there. Thanks, Stuart. <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> it's a fit fellow. We set this up deliberately, Stuart. <laughs> um, you bring so much joy to our family every day, so thank you sincerely from my three-year-old and my 50-something-year-old husband... Um, and me. Um, oh, I'm really interested to find out if there are people in your life that drive some of the characters in your children's book. I'm thinking specifically about the, the one page towards the end of Green Sheep where you have a whole heap of sheep, some singing, some <laughs> dancing, some flying. I'm really interested in the narcissistic sheep that's looking at herself in the mirror and whether or not that was based on someone you know. <laughs> <laughs> We all have to look in the mirror sometimes. Um, there's the um, innovative and agile sheep. They're all the ones on the, the balancing on the thing. And there's some... Um... No, it was the... Uh, when Mem and I did that book... So this is Where is the Green Sheep, which is... Um, here is the blue sheep, here is the red sheep, here is the bath sheep, here is the bed sheep. And there's sheep all the way through it. And each pair has a relationship. Um, but And there's a rhyme in each of the in each of the quatrains. Uh, so, but we just played around with a whole lot of sheep and there was the jar sheep and the bar sheep and the crying sheep and I did the, the bone sheep which had a sort of skeleton in it and I did the dead sheep. At one point I did the bong sheep because I was going, oh, I'm so, so tired of these sheep. Um, and we just picked the ones, and so they're obviously all one syllable, so we just picked the ones that sort of fitted best in the book with each other, etc. So that on that page at the end of the book, there are just some of the leftover ones and some that obviously, like Carmen Miranda, the Carmen Miranda sheep has quite a few more syllables than one, so she couldn't go in. Uh, so, no, I just what, like the... Well, I think I did the fishing sheep and then I just had the lake, so matter of... Oh, there's a space for sheep there. Oh, it can be looking in there. So you've taught your children the word narcissistic, have you? <laughs> <laughs> that yeah it's cross gen you know Judy's loved and reach you know talks to people across the generations and the genders and I mean that's a that's a huge achievement isn't it well yes I think so <laughs> yes, I don't know you're not supposed to question. big nose yourself are you I go no no it's nothing Alex it's nothing <laughs> but totally that must, it, it must give you a warm fuzzy sheepy feeling <laughs> <laughs> well I think it's I mean I do think it's amazing given that I haven't had a regular spot you yeah. know, that, that people do know of my work and have found it and come across it, even though I've, you know, not been on the television or not had that regular publication and things like that. So, you know, when I'm sort of going, oh, I'm nowhere and, you know, I have no superannuation and all of that, I can go, no, but there are people who mm. have come across the work and, it, and I believe it's through the strength of the work. 
don't hate me for sounding arrogant, but you know, this is what you know. I do think it's it's mm. because of that, and because it does speak to people. And I've had a lot of people over the years say, you know, well, that cartoon's about me, or how did you know that that was my life, or you know, this is exactly what I was thinking, or or you know, I took that cartoon into my psychiatrist and said, this is what I'm talking about, and <laughs> and, <laughs> and stories like that. So you know, and that's I mean, you know, that's amazing. That's yeah. sort of really nice that, that you know. I was just saying to Judy before, Sumi Jo, who's been to Canberra a couple of times, I gave her the Women with Altitude um, T-shirt because I thought for a soprano, it's, it's, it's like, you know, it was multi-layered and she was delighted. So I've got this vision of her out on some stage in rehearsals in your T-shirt. So. Well, she should send me a photo and I can put it on my, um, oh, okay. on my website. She's a big tweeter. Any more questions? Yep, up the, right up the back, Stuart. You know, you'd love it. And then down here. No one's ever seen... Double... <laughs> What happens when you need to draw an animal or something you've never drawn before? So do you like go and find it in a zoo or do you look at reference photos or do you just kind of draw a blob and then shape it so that it kind of looks like an armadillo? Like what do you do? Is that, you'll have to. So oh, if, if, if it's an animal that's unfamiliar, um, how do you go about drawing it? Do you go to the zoo to look at it? Do you look up reference books? Do you, you know, if it's an armadillo or something? That yeah, I Google. Um, I used to go down to the library and I used to, my local library, sort of, I'd go in there and there I am, you know, a grown-up person going, I'd like a book on vultures and, or just something. Um, but now, you know, everything's online so I can, just, I can just look up stuff. I don't tend to um, use... Well, so I would look at, um, what was an animal I was trying to draw the other day? I can't remember. But I would look at the animal, a few photos, and just sort of say, okay, well, this is the relationship of its, of its forehead to its mouth and its legs to its body and that kind of thing. But thereafter, I sort of leave it alone because I can get too stuck in trying to. In my most recent book with Mem Fox, Ducks Away, which is about a mother duck who goes on to a bridge and she's followed by one duck and then two ducks, three ducks, four ducks, five ducks, and then they fall off one by one. And while they're fall, you know, the first one's off and the mother duck's going, what will I do with, with four on the bridge and one below? And then three, there's three on the bridge and two below. And it's a book with hidden maths. It's really very, um, <laughs> it's very good. But I was trying to draw a bridge and some ducks and some water, and the ducks had to be able to fall in the water, but also the top of the bridge. And I was just doing my heading, because all I could do was I guess sort of proper perspective drawings but then that wouldn't work for the next drawing. And, and I took photos of bridges and I went on a holiday in Japan where there are lots of bridges and I have masses <laughs> of photos. And, and to try and get that sort of something that is recognisably something but then works as, you know, that could do what it wanted to do. And it was terrible, actually, because I ended up running really late with this book and my agent rang up the editor and said, how's Judy going? And I just had to get one page right and then I could do the rest of the book. So we finally got one page right, and the editor and I were going, yes, okay, the book's going to happen now. And the editor happened to say to my agent, oh, she's done the first, she's done page one. <laughs> <laughs> and my agent said, I don't know why she didn't ask me, well, I do know why she didn't ask me, because I probably would have fibbed. But um, and my, my agent said, but she's done the other pages. And the editor went, no, 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 she's just done the first one, but the other ones will come really quickly. And my agent was like, so cross. But anyway, I got it, I got it done in the end, and... Um, it's a good question. And it's, it's a, a cute book. But that for ducks, I think I did up, look up some ducks then just to make sure that I was, you know, that they look duck-like and not loony duck-like, but try to make horror check duck-like or something. <laughs> now, I think there's a question here. Oh, thanks. Why, why do you draw people with pointy noses like that? I don't know. I think it's partly the fashion when I started. So Kathy Wilcox does oh, pointy yeah. noses and Kaz Cook does pointy noses. And a generation earlier, Michael Looney does big blobby noses. So there were lots of blobby noses. So I think it was just part, it's sort of a, a sort of style that was around that time. Um, so that was in the early 80s we were all starting. And I've sort of stuck with it. I wish I'd, but I've always done people with tiny eyes as well. And that's... Um, a lot of cartoonists have, you know, they have an eyeball and eyelids and eyelashes and all kinds of stuff and that sort of greater expressive mm. possibilities. So I've just got this tiny dot which I can move a couple of millimetres and change expressions 
quite amazingly, but um, yeah, I think that's why I did. I remember one time I did uh, something for um, for 3CR, which is Melbourne's community radio station, and I had to do um, some. I had to, you know, I wanted to do white and black people, and everything was published in black and white. So it was only white and black. You couldn't have anything else. And the um, 3CR said, look, we're just going to take this down to the Koori Information Centre and make sure it's okay. You know that you haven't sort of offended anything by drawing this black person. And the guy at the Koori Inf Information said, yeah, sure, that's fine with us, but, geez, you'd never see a Koori with a nose like that. <laughs> <laughs> Always saved by the Indigenous humour, sense of humour. Um, any, I think, otherwise we'll set you... Oh, just one more, last one, last question. Stuart, you know you... See all those steps you've got up today in Step September. Um, Judy, you said that when you're keeping notes for your cartoons, you tend to have written notes rather than a bunch of sketches. And I'm just wondering, when you go to actually draw them, does it normally just work out of the first go, or do you normally have to redo it and redo it to get the and one? No, I redraw and redraw. Yeah. Um, so I tend to draw in pencil and then pen, and then I will trace it again. Um, and this is one reason why it would be good to be elect electronic, because I will do it... Because I've got to get the words to fit as well, especially now my space is so small. And so I have to work out if there's going to be three lines of two words each or two lines of three words each and do a sort of my own proportional spacing, but also just to get things right. So I do tend to trace and retrace. Um, that's why I draw on photocopy paper so I can just see So you're it. not tempted to go down the digital David Popey Well, I bought myself an iPad Pro, and um, so I wasn't tempted back in the day when David started doing it and all that, where you'd have to draw like that and look at it on the screen. Mm. I just thought that's going to be too hard for me to learn how to be doing that but now that you've got things like the iPad Pro with an amazing pencil that you know you can draw you can get it like a charcoal and and very pressure sensitive and everything so I did buy one of those but I lost the pencil so <laughs> <laughs> no I've mislaid the pencil so I I the you know, and I'm on. always on deadline so that I can't sort of you know I go oh I could do that now oh, no but I've just got to do it the way I know how to do it because I've got to get it done Judy, you are an absolute and total treasure. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, yes, I feel like the meanie now. We've got some refreshments for you upstairs, though. We've got the book for sale, 10% off, I believe, in our bookshop. And uh, Judy might even sign it for you, perhaps. I'm very happy to sign it. Oh, very, very nice of you. Thank you. Perfect. Um, and, and look, as Alex said, they're a great Christmas present. Get them for lots of your yeah, family. Yeah, I think I will be too. Yeah. So, um, so I'd, I'd just like to say uh, a, a huge thank you for a very special evening to uh, our uh, lovely ladies, I'll say tonight. Our absolute, what is it, total and absolute treasures. Yes. So just uh, thank, uh, I'd like you to join uh, me in thanking <laughs> once again Judy and Alex. See you upstairs.